Good morning, Bethel. All right. Our scripture reading for this morning is James 3, 1 to 18. If you are using the Pew Bible, you can find that on page 1012. James 3, 1 to 18, page 1012 in the Pew Bible. Please stand with me for the reading of the word. James 3, 1 to 18, this is the word of the Lord. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do you not boast and be false to the or do not boast and be false to the truth? This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is shown in peace by those who make peace. That's the word of the Lord. You may have a seat. All right. So we are in the middle of this series on our values. Um, We have three values here at Bethel. Gospel, community, and mission. So pretty easy to remember, hopefully. Um, And... We talk about it off and on all year long, but usually about once a year we do kind of a refresh on our values, and so that's what we're doing um, these three weeks. We started last week, and we'll finish um, the mission. Uh, That'll be our last one. So um, just so you know, why, why do we have three values? Is that like, you know, corporate America, core values, you know, we're just doing it in the church, whatever. Well, real Christianity is not like this religious, cultural, or even behavioral veneer pasted onto the surface of life. Real Christianity is lived from the inside out, 
God changes us from the inside out at the core. So by the power of God's grace, he changes us deep down at the core of who we are, and what we value changes. What we desire, what we want, our loves, our affections change. Our joys change. What gives us joy. So, again, we don't have values because it's, you know, standard operating procedure for corporate America. We have values because God, by his grace, has changed us and given us a completely new value system, and we want to make it really clear what that is, and we want to be guided by the main things. We want to keep the main things the main things. So the gospel is at the center. It shapes and changes everything that we do. Community is shaped by the gospel, and our mission is shaped by the gospel. So think about it this way. God is this triune one in three. So perfect loving unity. So God is a a loving society, a community. So there's perfect intimacy, but also that intimacy and love loves to overflow and draw other people in, right? So it's constantly in and out, in and out. And so why did God create? Because he was lonely? Because he was bored? No. He wanted to share that overflowing love with beings made in his image. He wanted to draw us in to his love, right? So because of sin, we ran away from him, and so he comes after us in his love to draw us in, and when you get drawn in, it's further up and further in, but also you want other people to get in on this. There's no better news than the gospel of Jesus, that we, though we're guilty We deserve punishment. We deserve to be judged for our sin, our cosmic rebellion. We've all wanted to be little gods, you know, our own will being done on earth as it is in our own minds. We just want God's gifts and we want him to shove off. So instead of giving us what we deserve, he gives us himself. He gives us his son. His son dies in our place on the cross so that we can be reconciled to him, at peace with him. We can have relationship with him. We can draw near to him with confidence. So we get drawn in, and then we get sent out, right? So the gospel creates centripetal and centrifugal force, drawing us in and sending us out, drawing us in and sending us out. So that happens in to God and in with our spiritual family. We're one. We're united in Christ. We love each other. At least we need to love each other, right? Sometimes we work on that. That's what we're talking about this morning. And we want other people to get in on this. So we want to share the good news of Jesus with others so that they can be drawn in. So in and out and in and out. So the, go- the, the values all hang together in that sense. Gospel, community, and mission. The gospel is God reaching out to draw us in. Does that all make sense? Okay. So last week we considered gospel from the end of Second Peter grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. We need to be saturated with grace and with the knowledge of Jesus. And this morning, we're going to talk about giving grace to our spiritual family, biological family, or our our nuclear family in our house as well, right? So we need grace. We need to saturate our own souls. We also need to give grace 
within the family of faith and saturate our family. So that's this morning. And then the last one will be saturate your city. Don't you want to saturate Wilmington with the grace of Jesus? So we need a lot of grace for all of these things. So um, that's actually the the theme and the topic for this morning. So we are going to basically be looking at Ephesians. Our key key passage is Ephesians 4.29, but we're going to see it in the context of the whole book, okay? So there's an outline in the bulletin to kind of help you follow along. Um, And we're going to begin in chapter 1, but it's all pressing towards chapter 4, verse 29. So... Um, Hopefully the outline will help you follow along. All right? So last week, gospel. Saturate your own soul with the grace of God. This week, community. Let's saturate our church family with the gospel, with the grace of God um, from Ephesians. All right? So first point, grace given to give grace. The point of this point is to see the pattern in the book of Ephesians, how grace is given to be given. All right? So the book of Ephesians is filled. This is Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, thus named the Ephesians. He's writing to them, and it is just filled with the grace of God. It is a celebration of the grace of God. So this grace that is lavish, it's amazing, it's intended to keep on giving. So God pours out his grace abundantly into our lives, and he intends to pour it through us into the lives of others. So grace should keep on giving. We are given grace to give grace. So I just want you to see this pattern here in Ephesians. So a little bit of a flyover tour, um, some of the the verses in this book. So first we'll see... Um, some of the glory of the grace that God gives us, and then how generously he gives it. So look at chapter 1, verses 3 to 6. Here's a a summary, like a really dense, concentrated summary of the grace of God in these first few verses. Paul starts out by praising God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. He wanted us in his family according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved, which is Christ. Okay, so we have every spiritual blessing in Christ, and Paul says that that rich blessing, manifold, you know, blessing, all those blessings come to us in Christ, and we are to be to the praise of his glorious grace. So it it gets poured into our lives, and we should just be shouting from the rooftops the abundance of, of grace that's been given us in Christ, all these blessings, okay? We are to be. So that's grace comes in, praise goes out. You see it? Now flip ahead to chapter 2. Grace is given to respond, to give grace. Um, Here's more grace in chapter 2 of 
Ephesians, starting in verse 4. But God, despite our sin, like he talks about in the first few verses, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, spiritually dead, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. So, what is all this grace given for? There's tons of grace here. You've been saved by grace. You're going to be given grace. You're, it's going to take eternity to show us the immeasurable riches of his grace because it's immeasurable, because it's infinite. We'll never get to the bottom of it. So he's going to be pouring out grace on us lavishly forever. So we've been saved by grace. Grace is lavishly poured out. What's it for? It's not intended to terminate with us as if we're kind of like cul-de-sacs, you know, roads that have dead end sign at the beginning of it. It's supposed to, we're supposed to be like conduits. So look now at chapter 3, and we'll see this pattern in Paul. Chapter 3, verse 1. For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me, for you. And then look down at verse 7. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles, non-Jews, the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is this plan of God, this redemptive plan of God. So he's given grace to give grace. And that's not just true for Paul. It's true for every believer, every follower of Jesus. So look down at verse 4. I'm, chapter, I'm sorry, chapter 4, verse 7. And you can see this pattern now applies to all believers, everybody that trusts Christ as their Savior and follows him. Ephesians 4, 7. But grace was given to each one of us, according to the measure of Christ's gift. Why? Well, we keep reading. He gives gifts, grace, to people like apostles and prophets. This is verse 11. Evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the, mat to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So, God gives grace and grace gifts so that some people teach so that that grace is passed through them to others. But it's not just those that teach that give grace. Um, you don't have to turn there, but in 1 Peter 4, there's a, a good parallel. It goes like this. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks, if you have a speaking gift, speak as though you're speaking God's words. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. So some of us have grace that comes out as 
teaching, some of us are gifted in such a way that that grace comes out as service. So they're speaking gifts, serving gifts, but both are grace gifts, and they're given to us to be given to others, to serve others. Grace is given to give grace. Okay, so we continue along in Ephesians, and now we see very clearly that this conduit of God's grace is true of all believers. Look at verses 15 to 16 of chapter 4. So speaking the truth in love, and this is for all of us, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Do you see that? Do you see how it's the responsibility of each and every one of us to speak the truth in love so that the body builds itself up in love? you see that? Speaking the truth in love, this is all of us, spoken to all of us, we are to grow up into maturity, into Christ-likeness, when each part is working properly, then the body grows and it builds itself up in love. Okay, so this responsibility to give grace in our speech belongs to all of us. Look at Ephesians 4.25. It gets even clearer. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. So just as Paul was given grace for the good of the church, just as grace was given to apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers for the good of the saints, so grace is given to all the saints, each and every one of us, for the body of Christ to be built up in love. So do you see the pattern? It's pretty clear. So what does that mean for you and me? Well, that means that you are a means of grace and growth. Each and every one of us. We're intended, you are intended to be a means of grace and growth for the rest of us. That responsibility is on all of us. Okay? So we want to see that pattern, but then personalize the pattern. Okay? So the grace is given, and we give grace when we speak the truth in love. When each part is working properly. The body grows and builds itself up in love. So the exclamation point comes in verse 29, which is kind of our key passage for this morning. So look down at Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Pretty sobering passage, isn't it? <laughs> no corrupting speech should come out of our mouths. Glad for last week, for the gospel, right? That we can be cleansed of our sin. We have a need for that on an ongoing basis. The only thing that should come out of our mouths is what is good to build up our brothers and sisters. That is speaking the truth in love, that we may grow building the body up in love. So 
we should be asking ourselves questions. You know, think before you speak, right? Is this edifying? Is this going to build up? Is this going to build my brother or sister up, or is it going to tear them down? So Paul says that the truth that we speak should also be considerate of the circumstance of the other person. So not only what we speak, the truth, how we speak it in love, but also when we speak it, according to the need of the moment, as fits the occasion. So what's the need of the moment? We should ask that as we're talking with someone, even praying, like, Lord, what, what does this person need right now? Do you ever do that? Like, because oftentimes we don't know. We want to be helpful, but we struggle to find the words or to find something that, to encourage this person. So we can ask the Lord for grace and help, but, but we need to be thinking before we speak because we want to saturate our brothers and sisters with grace and build them up and not tear them down. So what's the need of this moment? Because we have a goal with our speech. If, if we're personalizing and owning this passage, Ephesians 4.29, we have a goal. At least we should have this goal. We want to give grace to those who hear. How can I give grace to this person? How can I do it in this moment, their situation, considering where they're at, how they're doing, what they're dealing with? So we, we need a lot of help for this. This is not easy. Sometimes we don't know what truth to speak. Sometimes we don't have much of a heart to say it. And sometimes, you know, we just totally blow it as far as what to say at the right time. But there's grace for this. <laughs> and we can depend on the Lord to give us grace for this. Okay? So, so much grace has been poured into our lives. God has spoken the truth to us in love. In a sense, what we need to do is tune our ears to how he speaks to us. Good students of how he builds us up in his love. Because you know what? Everything that God says to us is intended to build us up. Do you believe that? Like, even when he breaks us down, it's, it's to build us up. Even when he disciplines us, it's so that we would flourish. You know? So even when he disciplines you, it's not to make you pay. Lightning bolt, if you step out of line. It's not because he's tired of you or annoyed or lashing out. Oh, you again? You did this again? What is the tone that you hear in the Father's voice when he speaks. You know tone's important, not just what you say, but how you say it, right? When you think of how the Father speaks to you, what's the tone? Do you really believe he loves you? You see, we need to go back to the gospel because if we're not saturated with the grace of God, knowing the character of God, it's going to affect how we hear and also how we speak. If you are really nitpicky and harsh 
and critical and impatient of other people? Where's that coming from? Is it possible that maybe you think that's how God relates to you? And it's really no fun, and you end up kind of like transferring it to other people. So, we need the gospel. We need the grace of God. We need to saturate our souls. We need to, like, God says all kinds of things to us. I mean, when, when he says, when Jesus said, don't be anxious, how do you hear that? Do you hear it as like a backhand? Don't be anxious about your life. Anxious again, you idiot. Like, come on. Or he's so gracious, loves us so much, and his grace and presence and care is so good that we don't have to be anxious about anything. And then he gives us a bunch of reasons why. Like, what was Jesus' tone in Matthew 6? Like, you're, you're of greater value than the birds. Not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's notice. Do you see? What about Jesus when he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Like, what's the tone in his voice? And then we can reflect that. If we're saturated in grace, then we're going to be able to reflect that when we speak to others and give grace to those who hear. Now, certainly he tells us stuff that we don't always want to hear, right? But he doesn't do it in this vindictive way. Even when he cuts against the grain of our souls and confronts us or challenges us or exposes something, it's ultimately for our good. And we can do the same thing even when we need to say something hard to someone else in love. It's all because he wants to give us grace. And we ought to want to reflect that in our speech as well. So, no corrupting talk out of our mouths, only what is good for building up according to the need of the moment to give grace to those who hear. Sobering. Really easy to fail at that, isn't it? I think we probably feel like it's more natural. <laughs> We're better at tearing people down than building them up. I mean, we are very capable. Let's be honest with ourselves. We are capable of corrupting and tearing other people down. So point number three, we need to be honest about it so that we can guard against it. That word for corrupting is found several times in the Gospels, and two of those instances are found in Luke 6. If you want to turn over there, um, you can. Luke chapter 6, verses 43 to 45. So Jesus said, For no good tree bears bad, it's the same word, diseased or corrupt fruit. Nor again does a bad, same word, tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And if he's good, it's because of the grace of God. Um, and the evil person, out of the evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So you can see why James 3 was our scripture reading, right? We bless and curse out of the same mouth. It ought not to be that way. See, our hearts go public in our speech. And when our speech is graceless, it betrays a graceless heart. 
So it is easy to pump corrosive, destructive words into the atmosphere of your marriage, the hearts of your kids, your home in general, your workplace, and our church. So obviously, you know, um, usual suspects, gossip, (laughs) slander, they're going to corrupt and tear down. Complaint and negativity does it. Words from a critical spirit. Now, constructive criticism doesn't do that because the point is ultimately to build up, like pruning a tree, right? So we can either do one or the other. We can either be pumping grace into the atmosphere in this community of faith, or we can be pumping criticism and judgmentalism into the air through our speech, and it'll get toxic, So have you ever noticed the tendency in yourself or maybe in others when a name comes up, there might be this like token positive thing and then it's, but you know how so-and-so is. And it's just like negative. Why why do we feel like we need to say that? Or it's critical from the get-go. You know, you're criticizing somebody and then there's this little token positive thing tacked on the end. Oh, but I appreciate, you know, this. It's not like like they're all bad. You know, I'm 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 not totally throwing them under the bus. This is really easy for us to be corrosive and to tear down with our speech. It can spread like disease and be destructive. Little grace gives little grace. So what is your speech saying about your heart? If there's little grace in our our speech, it's because there's little grace in our hearts and we need to saturate our hearts with God's grace so that that's what pours out and you know what? If you're, if you're convicted, and, oh man, I'm so graceless this past week. Guess what? You can repent. God gives grace to the humble. So you can repent right now and receive grace and be filled up and pour out that grace on others. So what does it sound like? What, what does it sound like when someone is really just saturated in grace and fluent in grace? Well, certainly Paul is that way. So We should be students of how he speaks. Listen, Ephesians is not a Hallmark greeting card. Like, who are the people that write those, you know? They've got to try to make it so vanilla, so kind of generic, that it applies to as many possible people as as possible. But Paul, like, if Ephesians got lost in the mail and showed up in Corinth, they'd have been like, what? What? And if 1 Corinthians would have gotten lost in the mail and ended up in Ephesus, they'd have been like, huh? Because he wanted to build up those churches, but he knew that he needed to be wise in the way that he applied the gospel, the grace of God to each situation according to the need of the moment. So we can learn from Paul. We can learn from Jesus, obviously. So even when he spoke the truth and he said some hard things, even harsh things, But ultimately, it was in love. Do you remember when the rich young ruler came to him? And, you know, he thought he was fine. Like, what do I need to do? What else do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Or what am I missing? And Jesus said, you know, keep the commandments. He said, oh, I've kept all those from my youth. He could have said, are you kidding me? No, you haven't, you idiot. You're blind to your sin. He He didn't do that. He 
He certainly didn't soft pedal anything. He touched the nerve. He said, just go, sell all you have, give your money to the poor, you'll have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. And he shrugged his shoulders because that was just a bad deal. Jesus put his finger on that guy's idol. But in Mark 10, it says this, Jesus looking at him, loved him and said, you lack one thing, go sell all you have. He wasn't trying to buttonhole him in the corner and say, no, you're not. You're a fake. You're a fraud. You don't really want to follow me. You know, like he loved him. He was trying to go to the heart of the issue and say, do you want me more than your stuff? So it was out of love. And there's just example after example after example of that. So it's so easy for us to fall off the horse. I think this could be one helpful just application. Some of us are more inclined to tell the truth, straight shooter, and the love part's harder. And you know what? You need to lean this way so you don't fall off the horse into the ditch of harshness. Some of us are, you know, oh, we don't want to offend anybody or have anybody be upset with us or whatever, and we're afraid to say the hard thing. So we need to lean in the truth direction so we don't fall into the ditch because we're not going to really be helpful to people if we're not willing to speak the truth. So, <laughs> yeah, I obviously have more here maybe than we have a family meeting here, so I'm going to try to summarize some of this here. But are there people in your life who have really been examples of what this sounds like? Do you have anybody like that? I know for me, a guy that just, just retired, so Ray Ortland Jr. is a preacher. He, he planted a manual um, in Nashville, and man, that guy's preaching is just like, just breathing in grace, okay? So I'm sure you can still listen to his sermons. But you know what his closing sermon was to his church? How he said goodbye to his church. I loved it. It was so fitting. Acts 20, 32. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. It's been his whole ministry, and that's how he closed out. Because he knew if that church is going to thrive, they need to be built up by the grace of God. You know, another guy that I think of, and some of you who, um, you know, weren't here 10 years ago may not know this name, but Bill Smith. So this church went through some really painful times, you know, ways back. A number of different seasons, but um, certainly like 15 years back, 13 years back, and so forth. And in the interim time between the previous pastor leaving and when the Lord brought us here 10 years ago, there was a guy who was on staff at a church up in Pennsylvania, Bill Smith. So he's a counselor, pastor. Um, he was, <laughs> Sarah's back there going, woohoo, because she loves Pastor Bill. Um, he was, he breathed grace into this body and was a healing um, influence in that year in between. And he lives this. So he's written some books and listen to the titles. Grace Through the Ages, a devotional illustrating God's unrelenting grace and love. And then just recently, which I would recommend to you, especially if you have teenagers, um, Parenting with Words of Grace, 
Um, it's, it's great. In fact, at one point he says about Ephesians 4.15, you need both to have either. If you have truth without love, you actually kind of lose them both. And if you have love without truth, you kind of lose them both. So anyway, encouraging book. You might want to check it out. So grace is given that we might give grace. You and I are a means of grace to one another. We can either corrupt and tear down or we can give grace and build up. So let's pursue this. Let's get really fluent in grace. This is going to happen like that, but we listen to how God speaks to us. We watch how Paul speaks to the church in Ephesus and the other letters. We watch the Lord Jesus. We listen to people like Bill Smith and others that are really great at giving grace to those who hear and all of that so that we can saturate each other with the grace of God. We can saturate our family. Okay, so what I was planning on doing here at the end was walking through this thing that's in the bulletin. And I'm, I'm going to maybe hold off on that, but let me just draw attention to it. Um, this isn't the only way that we pursue cultivation of community, a context where we know and are known and we can, we can really speak this grace and truth into, into each other. Um, but this is a key way. This is really, in a sense, the central way. Okay? So we want to make sure that everybody is really clear on what community groups are for and why they're so important. So we have it summarized on this sheet, and I would just encourage you to really, you know, take some time this week or this afternoon to read through this and make sure you understand um, that this is the purpose of these groups and am I cultivating this? Because if I'm not pursuing relationships, then I'm not going to have anybody to actually breathe grace into. And we are not just gathering together to be kind of a, a social club, but we want to help each other grow in grace, point number two. We're discipling each other. We're intentional about that, encouraging one another and, and correcting each other and holding each other accountable and stirring each other to love and good deeds. This is all giving grace to one another. We serve one another. We bear burdens. We pray for each other. We meet practical needs. And then also the purpose is outreach. Um, so we can maybe unpack that some more later, but these are, these are like a little greenhouse for this kind of grace-saturated gospel growth. And so if you're not in one, please, you can visit some. You don't have to go to the first one that you, you don't have to lock in with the first one you visit. There's a list of them out there. They meet at different times in different locations. You can try them all out. But the point is, community is so important. And this is one of the ways that we can make sure that nobody falls through the cracks and we have little families within the family, not to be cliques or relational silos, but so that we can actually know each other well and be known and give grace to each other in lots of different ways. All right? Conduits of God's grace. Let's sing that song one more time, and then we'll do our uh, family meeting. All right? <clears throat> Father, we need to grow in the grace, all of us, 
in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. Uh, please, would you saturate our hearts with your grace? Would you help us to, to really pursue it intentionally so that we are filled up and we pour out on other people the grace that you've given to us. Help us, Lord, to build one another up, to give grace to everyone who hears. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.